0: Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Not Your Bobby's Podcast. I'm Carmen and Laura. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome
1: back. How was your how was your week? Okay, so let me tell you, I'm super fucking excited. Um, this weekend I went to Costco with my mom how and I bought an air fryer. They were like 50 bucks and they're like the nice ones too, like the super oh. digital with all the options. <laughs> And so I bought one and, um, you know, I finally, like two years later, I go into the craze.
0: <laughs> I know we've been doing this since the pandemic, but it's okay. Continue. <laughs> well, thank
1: you. because, um, So I, I bought it and so I brought it home because I was in Albuquerque this weekend and um, I decided to do like potato wedges. I'm like, what is the easiest thing I can make that will kind of help me figure out how to work this shit? So I make potato wedges and um, like apparently, I think I cut the potato wedges maybe a little bit too thick because I put it with the time that it told me. But like, no, estaban they were still like a little hard, so I put them a little extra time. But then they got like, burr, burr. <laughs> so gotcha. my first food was a fail but I'm still excited because I finally fucking got one. And I at least can say I have one, even if I don't fucking use it ever.
0: (laughs) No, but like air fryers are game changing, dude. Like that's how I do everything. And I like, I've noticed that I use the microwave less and less because I'm, I love microwaves, Um, but I don't use it as much because of the air fryer. I can just pop anything in there and then 15 seconds, it's nice and crispy. I want to reheat my, reheat the chicken nuggets for eat estan listos like i love it and then like i'll also follow well since you're on tiktok there's tons of recipes that you can just do like um air fryer dinners and you do you can do salmon you can do a bunch of stuff it's a game changer i'm
1: gonna have to start like looking for those because um i i used to have a couple that came on i know one that i'm really interested in trying out is um Korean crunchy chicken like spicy crunchy chicken there's this uh Korean creator that she does like a lot of food on on TikTok so I'm I'm gonna want to try well I want to try out her recipe but I was like okay well you know at least it was only three potatoes I sacrificed and I don't I haven't had a microwave in the last five years
0: oh really I love yeah well
1: remember I never I've never had a microwave like since you've known me I've never had a microwave in my house
0: that's right yeah yeah.
1: And so I, I got used to like, really like learning how to heat stuff up in my oven or my stove, but sometimes it would become annoying. Cause I would have to turn on like the full oven, you know, like the whole thing, get it preheated and everything. Mm-hmm. So now that you're telling me that I'm like, okay, this is going to be like a game changer for me.
0: Not just that, but the inconvenience of taking out your pots and your pans from inside your oven, because that is a source of, you know, like. Cabinetes, that's a storage space. Please tell me you put your pots and pans under the oven. I don't. Oh my God. What kind of Mexican? (laughs) Can we revoke your Mexican card? Because I think
1: this is the part where I turn it in, turn off
0: my microphone and slowly walk away. (laughs) You're going to get us canceled again. Shit. No, let me tell
1: you why. So I used to, but because since I moved into the new house, I have so much cabinet space. I actually found a space for all of my pots and pans. And I don't, I no longer have the need to put them under in my oven.
0: It doesn't matter. I Okay, so like in my little house, when I lived alone, it was a really tiny kitchen and I used it because it is. So now I moved in with Brandon and Brandon has a, like his kitchen is huge. It's huge. There's tons of space, but it's like a comfort thing. And he tells me, he's like, there's tons of space where you can put the pots in the pans. I'm like, it's cultural, sir. It is cultural. You do not get in the, you're well, a white man. Like we've talked
1: about this between like the big difference between me and you is you like to see Stuff you like to see, like you have a thing for stuff. Whereas me, I don't know if it's like a trauma because my mom is like you, donde le encanta tener un chingo de chingaderas, that I don't like things, I don't like having stuff, and I like everything to look very nice and like nothing there, like no clutter. Like I was well, telling Fernando today, I don't want people
0: to know I have things, so I just get rid of everything because I don't like seeing things. <laughs> But your things are inside the oven, so no one can see your things. I don't know. It's just like, oh, man. Maybe, okay, to
1: be fair, I lived in a very, very tiny apartment prior to this. So in reality, the amount of stuff I had, like, coming over, it didn't even fill up, like, half the cabinets. Okay. So, you maybe, know, like, maybe as I start getting more stuff, they will eventually make their their way back to the oven. But I am not promising anything.
0: Maybe you're like dismantling your trauma and putting pots and pans where they belong. How about that? There, there,
1: there you go. And we have now diagnosed me and we have cured me all in five minutes. I like
0: that. I like that. <laughs> well, congratulations on your air fryer. It Thank sounds you. life-changing for sure. I hope How was your time so. in Albuquerque? It was fun.
1: I went, uh, I hung out with my cousin. I haven't seen him in a couple of months and he took me to this, uh, little like bar, local bar, it's called still spirits. So if you guys are in Albuquerque, I highly uh, recommend this place. They have, um, they have homemade gin, so they make their own gin. So we were getting all of the gin drinks that they have. So we got gin and tonics. We have, um, a couple other ones. I can't remember their names, but, oh, my God, God, man, when I tell you they were delicious, they were delicious. Like, I ended up having at least a good, mm, like, maybe six, seven, eight drinks. <laughs> did you get shit-faced? I did not get shit-faced because I didn't do anything I would regret. Did I bully people because I was drunk? Yes, yes, I did. Um, am I ashamed of it? No, not really. Like, that's just me on on a good day. And, um, the drinks were so good. I, there's no regrets. They were totally worth it. it was so good. And I had such a blast. It was like with my cousin and all his like fraternity brothers. So I had a blast with them.
0: That's awesome. I'm happy you got to let loose. I'm sorry I totally bailed on us, dude. It's been insane, insane. When I tell you I'm having to like put in some extra hours, I've been putting extra time. Um, But I'm glad you came over and I'm glad you had fun. And my commitment to you is that I'm going to El Paso very soon, a lot sooner than later, and we'll be recording together live from the comfort of your own casa. So
1: yes, and hopefully by then we'll have like my little entertainment room, like have like the little, because I've been telling you, I want to kind of like set it up for us to be able to record in person when you come over, but I am holding you to that because I'm no longer telling you when I go to Albuquerque. I know you already get mad at me because I, I warn you like as I'm driving over there. That's what I was. But now I'm just not even going to give you the warning.
0: Or, or just tell me like two weeks in advance or something.
1: You're like, asking too much from an Aries sun, Aries moon, Sagittarius rising. That's too much commitment on my part.
0: That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And then I'm like the person that like once I'm in it, like if I don't finish it, I'm not going to finish it because my ADHD <laughs> is like yesterday. We were supposed to record yesterday and I was like, Ugh. I literally have a migraine. Like I cannot, like I cannot today. And our listeners deserve the best, only the very best, yes. not me out of 50. Um. But today I got, I was my day off and I feel like I haven't had a day off in a long time. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and treat myself. I'm going to go be kind to myself. So I, uh, well, I went to the dentist. That was boring. Um. And then I went to get my nails done and then I was like, hmm you know what i haven't like ever gotten lash extensions let me see what that whole thing is about so i went to i went and got lash extensions
1: oh nice how how do they feel like i've never had them either so Girl, i don't care how they feel how do they look well do you have them like do you have mascara on them or is it just no, the it's the just the last they lash. look really pretty i thought you just had your makeup done but mm-hmm. for, I mean, just from like here, from the, the camera point of view, it looks like you had like, like really nice, like eyeliner and lashes done. So whoever did them from here, it looks like they did a really, really good job.
0: Look at how long they are. I'm so, I'm super excited <laughs> of them. Um, they were, no, I, you know what I, I've gotten, um, I'm really sensitive with my eyes. So I was really mm-hmm. nervous. And like, usually when I do something to my eyes, I'll do like a lash lift and I'm really happy because it's super low maintenance. But then I was like, let me try it. I don't feel a thing. Like they feel super light, and I do like that. I have like this makeup look, and yeah, I didn't do anything. So like an
1: effortless a, makeup look.
0: If you're a foolingga okay. like me, like but I
1: know you say like I didn't do much for myself. But then you t- you give me a list. You did your teeth, which is like a huge win because like you guys dental healthcare, please take care of your damn teeth, get them clean at least twice a year, get them checked for cavities. Like teeth, if you don't take good care of them, they're not gonna last you long and then you're gonna end up having those dentures and it ain't gonna look cute.
0: But but you know what? Like to that, I I do support your dental care is super important. It is very expensive though, and I will tell you, it some is bullshit how expensive it is. But if you're ever thinking if you're gonna go into debt, go into debt because you're taking care of your smile. And unfortunately, I hate saying mm-hmm. that, but um definitely your your teeth are super important. Um, I was talking to my dumb brother today, and my brother's like, oh it doesn't matter, I'll just get veneers, and I'm like, you're disgusting,
1: yeah. like. You're okay, disgusting. look, I don't, I don't want to shame anyone because we probably have listeners out there who do have them, and no, 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 again, you're I, I always want to get a cancel for everything,
0: no. but. If you're a healthy man today that you can be preventative Mm -hmm. for the future, why do that? Right. If you're going to get veneers because you didn't have an option in life, you didn't have, uh, you didn't have the resources to do it young. That's understandable. And I'm glad that you're able to do it today. But if you're my dumb brother who has the opportunity to get (laughs) dental work today. So this only, this PSA goes only to Carmen's dumb brother. Yeah. Don't get us canceled. You guys not yet. Let me say something really stupid. Um, And if you
1: guys have the privilege of being able to travel to a country that does it for cheaper, like Mexico, Um, or, you know, I've even seen on TikTok people go all the way to Colombia to get it done, you guys, please do it. Like, I... I I actually recently like went through the thing where I was so upset because I took my kids to go get a cleaning. And mind you, I I have the insurance, I'm supposed to be 100% covered, especially if it's preventive care. So even after my insurance, and even after they're supposed to cover everything for preventive care, my kids have no cavities, it's just their yearly, um, or their, um, because I do it twice a year. So their bi-yearly cleanup, I still had to pay $70 And so, I mean, for a single mom, $70 can be the difference between groceries for the week. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Uh Thankfully, I'm, I'm in the position where those $70, I had them, I paid them. It was like, whatever. But I was like, oh my god this is and this is supposed to be already covered for with my insurance but then I was talking to my cousin's wife and she was telling me that um because she had like braces and everything and and she got everything done in Juarez so she's like dude she's like go to Juarez especially because like my cleaning is coming up and I'm like you know what I am I'm gonna I'm gonna take my butt to Juarez and do it over there for like like 15 bucks
0: I've even heard that some some uh uh, dental places in mexico take american insurances <laughs> and don't charge you additional they just charge your insurance so hey um, if we have to hustle the system hustle the system and get your shit done i'm gonna and try to look me- into that dude i'm 4k deep into dental care 4k oh, you i
1: remember because not- you should have to know. get like your molars or something right mm-hmm. I got crowns dude and like my biggest headache that i'm like like already anxious about is ariana's gonna need braces And braces in the U.S. are expensive. I remember mine were fully covered by my Medicaid because I had, like, this whole issue with, like, my jaw and everything. But for my brothers, my mom had to pay out of pocket. And I remember she paid, like, five to eight grand on each one. And I was like, Mm. no, no, I'm not. No, I'm I'm taking her sweet little smile to Juarez and getting her braces over there.
0: Yeah. That's it. And there's tons of good, great places over there, so... Um, it's not sketchy, like how, you know, my people, my thing, but yeah, do what you got to do, dude. Take care of those pearly whites. People tell me, oh, you have such a pretty smell. I'm like this pretty small fucking cost me an arm and a leg. You don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Jesus. Um, but yeah, so it was totally like self-care, love myself. And I did that. I got home on time. I was able to clean my kitchen cause it's been a disaster and it's been a good day. So I like, I like that. that. Taking care of yourself. Days where you take care of
1: yourself and put yourself first are so important. And I feel everybody should have that at least once a month. At mm-hmm. least and feel no guilt about it. Like Mm-mm. do something nice for yourself. Feel good about it. What I do want to do, you know I can't handle false lashes because the si, my eyes are already all tiny. Um, but I do want to do the lash lift and tint. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about like ordering the little kit from Amazon and like doing it myself. Um, I've seen a couple of people like that come out on TikTok and do it. And I helped my cousin's wife did it. And they actually looked really cute on her. So I was like, oh, maybe I want to try it on myself.
0: I usually get the lifts and the tints too. Um, This time I wanted something a little bit more dramatic, but I don't trust myself doing it myself. So I I usually pay for it. It is like 80 bucks, um, but it's every eight weeks and I like it. It's better than the the lashes the lashes last you like two weeks so the lifts do stay a while
1: yeah and I think hers romantic. lasted for like at least a good month
0: mm-hmm. yeah there are eight they're, They they say like eight weeks but if you can get a month out of them that's that's amazing I mean, it took us
1: like 20 minutes to do it. I mean I did it it was both of like it was she ordered it and she's like can you help me and I was like sure let's do it so I did it on her and they look good and I was like hey I think this could be my next
0: profession with right. my one person I tried it on <laughs> There you go. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, what maintenance do we have? Do we have maintenance? Uh we have um oh you guys,
1: I know you've been asking us how to help us out with the podcast, and the best way to help us out is give us a five-star review on the platform that you are listening to us. So right now. Please look at your screens if you are on a phone, if you're on a computer, if wherever you're listening to us, and go and put the five star review now. Yes. Right now. I'm right
0: now. I'm right now. <laughs> Stop everything you're doing. The kid's hungry. I don't care. Beat them later. Five star. Yeah. Attack. Yeah. Um, it really helps out with the podcast it gives us more exposure and it gives us an opportunity to continue what we love doing which is this just fucking around and talking about bad bitches so please do so you guys and then share with your friends let them know there's these two crazy bitches doing this for free so we love it yes for the
1: for the drinks we do it for the review on the drinks that's what we that's do
0: right <laughs> also uh for the first time in uh not your poppy's podcast history we have been fact checked
1: oh, oh i have ptsd
0: from that <laughs> text <laughs> So i tell loda i'm like Bitch, we got fact checked but no this is a great opportunity you guys um i'm i I speak for Laura and myself when we ever say something that is, um, because it's going to happen and it's going to happen a lot and feedback is a gift. That's the way we look at it. If there's anything that we say or anything, any information that we get incorrect, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, don't use me as a source. Um, Maybe Laura, because Laura's really good with her shit, but not (laughs) me. (laughs) Talking about being really good with my shit. Carmen
1: probably takes feedback a lot better than me, but it's okay because it takes me like a day to get over it. So Carmen sends me a message. She's like, dude, we got fact-checked by one of our listeners. And I was like, what? So she tells me, she's like, oh, it had to do with like my comment on how I thought um, a person say that turmeric was good for fertility. So apparently this person did like a Google search and, you know, like the first thing in Google says, like turmeric could actually be like the opposite of good for if you're trying to conceive. So me being the person I am, I'm like, shit. Like, first of all, I said something without doing my research on it. So that, that was my bad. Like, I'm sorry, you guys, I, I should know better. But lately, every time I talk to anybody, I'll be like, I recently heard, I recently read and to be honest, it was just me
0: on TikTok. <laughs> Damn it, TikTok. We're like the old people on Facebook that are like, oh, I but, saw on the news and it was really so
1: nice. I actually went on there because I got a little bit more interested in it. I was like, okay, can turmeric actually be like bad for you if you're trying to conceive? So I found the source that our listener was referring to, and it comes from um a fertility clinic in Australia. And so That and another source both said that it would be bad for you if you're trying to conceive. But both of the sources were fertility clinics. So I don't know if there's a little bit of a bias because obviously they need to make the money off of their treatments. So what I did was I actually went and looked up scholarly articles because I am who I am. And of the six articles I read, because, yes, I did go and read scholarly articles, um, they were all on animals. So no studies have been done on humans. So it can't be like proven or disproven. But one of the things that they did notice is that on some of the mice, right? A couple of the articles reported that on some of the mice, they did notice um, that while they were being exposed to the, tur- the turmeric, they would have a little bit of a higher um, conception rate. But as soon as like it stopped, like their conception would decrease a lot.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I was like, huh? I was like, okay. Cause that could be like, um, it could be like, okay. Or bad, I guess, depending on how you see it. Um, and then I found some other like articles that were talking about how, uh, turmeric is actually like good for people if they have like PCOS. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the main symptoms in PCOS is like having issues with fertility, but it didn't say like, it helps you with fertility. It just says like, it's good because of the like endometriosis or something like that.
0: Okay. Well, if you guys are trying to conceive, um, we're obviously not fertility experts. Um, we're not. Check out, talk to your doctor. <laughs> Please talk to your doctor. Um, yeah. And and, and, and if you do conceive because of turmeric, You're welcome. You heard it here first. Yeah,
1: no. And also, you guys, like Carmen said, if we say anything that is incorrect and you guys like know it's wrong, please let us know. I don't want to walk the rest of my life being that dumbass that just says something
0: so confidently, so confidently. I believed you. (laughs) I was like, she knows her shit. I can't have an opinion. I'm just taking it because I have gut issues, but okay. (laughs) And then I told
1: you. I want to start doing those like little like health pills that I that I remember that I told you that I wanted to do with which was like um that moringa powder, turmeric, black pepper and ginger. And supposed to meant that like if you make them into like little balls and you take like a pill every morning on an empty stomach, it's supposed to be good for digestion. Cause I have issues with my digestive system. Mm-hmm. I'm
0: getting old. Yeah, we we're about to hit 30. So this is where it happens. It's all downhill from here.
1: Yes, but talking about digestive systems and being old, what are you drinking tonight?
0: You know what I was telling Brandon. I'm like, oh, dude, we don't have, we don't have anything to mix liquor with. I, I we have a full ass bar, but nothing to mix it. And, I, and I had to text my neighbor, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, was like I was like, help, SOS. And she's like, what's up? I was like, I need something to mix liquor with do you have a coke do you have something she's like i'm gonna leave it outside my house come pick it up whenever you're ready she left me dr peppers and i don't even like dr pepper but with crown with whiskey it actually offsets the taste of of dr pepper and it's it's pretty good it tastes like tequila and and coke i don't think i've ever heard of you drinking crown like Mm -hmm. that's that's My man has a full, any type of whiskey. He's got Japanese whiskey. He's got bougie whiskey. He's got cheap whiskey. He only let me get the crown because he's like, if you bottles are for the guests and shit. And I'm like, I'm I'm going to be a guest at your house. So you'll have tons (laughs) of great whiskey. So there's tons of that here. What are you drinking? I am drinking a tequila
1: sunrise. Mm So I did a little bit shopping earlier and I saw the, I'm going to say this so fucking wrong. The grenadine syrup, the red one. Is it grenadine syrup? Mm. I think so. Yeah.
0: I know what it is, but I just know how to pronounce yeah. it. Grenadine And if I said it
1: wrong, please correct me. Whatever.
0: <laughs> so I did the little red syrup
1: and then, but instead of orange juice, I bought pineapple juice. Mm. And then I have um, this uh, tequila that my cousin sent me from Mexico.
0: So that might, it tastes really good. That might actually taste way better than... Than a regular tequila sunrise with pineapple juice. It tastes really good. I'm
1: not gonna lie, it tastes really good.
0: Yeah, I'm done. So, All
1: whatever. right.
0: I think we had covered everything. We covered housekeeping. We caught up with our lives. Um, what do you have for us? I
1: promising and going back to um what we stated on last week's episode where we were going to continue with Black History just because I feel like we realize there's so many women, black women throughout history that made such an impact or, you know, that their stories need to be told that I realized like I'm limited to knowing like Rosa Parks. And um, that's like the only one I could think of off the top of my head that I actually knew about before we started doing this re- research, which is sad. Like you have to think about that. It's like sad, mm-hmm. um, you know, American public school system for you there. So today, I am going to bring you a story of a Black woman in history, um, but she is not from the Americas. So we're going to travel to the other side of the world. Okay. I'm bringing you the story of Sartajee Bartman.
0: is I can- me You sent me a text message on her and I was like, I have no clue. All I know is that black history month is way too short and uh, the more I can learn the better. So please.
1: Okay. So if I mispronounce the name, I'm so, so sorry, but um, I'm probably going to mispronounce a couple of things here in this story. Now, Sartaji Bartmint, or better known as Sarah Bartman, was born in 1789 in what is present day Eastern, Provi- Eastern Cape Province in South Africa. All right. Now, when she was born, it was um, colonized by the Dutch, and then towards the latter part of her life, it ended up getting colonized by um, the English. Now... When Sarah uh, was born, so it was a Dutch Cape Colony, and her family was part of the Gona Kwasub group of the Khoikhoi. Koi. So that was uh, her group, and the tribe is the Khoikhoi. So Sarah's mom uh, passed away when she was just two years old, and her father ended up dying a couple of years later. So she was basically orphaned at a very very young age, and. Sarah grew up in a colonial farm, where she worked as a servant to get by. Now, the beautiful thing about Sarah was that she grew, grew up really close to her traditions, and she like even went through all of her rites of passage. And she had this like shell necklace that her mom had uh, given to her that she actually had until like the day she died. So I, I think that's like really beautiful, you know. Like even through all of this, she was able to grow up like really close to her traditions. Now. When she was 13, she ended up marrying um, another of the members of the Khoi tribe. And they had a son who unfortunately died soon after childbirth. And when she was 16, her husband ended up having like a, an altercation with some Dutch colonist and they just murdered him. So by the time she's 16, she's lost both parents. She has, she's been widowed and she also lost her son. Oh my God. So it's short and life and already it's like a lot of stuff. Well, soon after her husband passed away, um, she ended up meeting uh, Peter Cesar's and he, okay. This is where the source is. So I was telling Carmen with my my story, depending on who I looked at as a source, the story was told a little bit different. So at the end of the story, I want you, so Carmen, because I'm the one talking to you right now, (laughs) I want you to tell me what would be your perspective on it. Some sources say he convinced her. Some sources say he encouraged her and other sources say he basically forced her to come to Cape Town to live with him. Right? Okay. So she goes to Cape Town with Peter and she lives there for about two years, working as a washwoman and a nursemaid. She then moves to Woodstock, which is outside of Cape Town, to be a wet nurse for Peter's brother, Hendrik Cesar. Now, during her time um, in Cape Town and Woodstock, she had a relationship with the Dutch soldier that ended. Um, so the relationship ended when the regiment left the Cape. And it is rumored that they did have a son together that also died shortly after childbirth. So that was just a rumor. It's like never been like factually known, but it is rumored that her and the Dutch soldier, you know, conceived a son. Wow. Now, again, depending on who you're referencing referencing as a source, you're going to get the story a little bit different. And some sources stated that Hendrick, so the other brother would take her to a nearby hospital to show her quote unquote, to the doctors and the nurses there in exchange for money. And that's where William Dunlop, which other sources refer to him as Alexander, but for the sake of the story, we're just going to refer to him as Dunlop. Um, he saw her and became interested. Now, other sources say that it happened by chance that Dunlop ended up like encountering her and he became interested in studying her and having her become a part of his animal show where he would exhibit animal specimens to spectators.
0: Wait, she became part of the animal show?
1: So he became interested and getting her to become part of the show.
0: Okay, what would she be doing?
1: Mm, thank you for asking. So, why would Dunlop be interested in having Sarah exhibited in an animal show? Well, Sarah had what is medically known as cetopygia, which is basically when an, you have an excess of fat and tissue that builds around the butt and the thighs. So it makes your butt, like, protrude, like, outwards, like, really, really big. And then it makes your thighs, especially in the front, also, like, get, like, really, really thick.
0: Okay. And he wanted to show her, like, some type of freak show? Bingo. That's disgusting. He's disgusting.
1: Yeah. So that's exactly my point. Like, see, that's some, some sources that I had had that exact same mindset. Like what they were doing to her was completely disgusting. And then other sources, which were mainly written or told by white men, were like, no, she wanted this. It was for scientific purposes, but scientific my ass. Basically, Dunlop started pursuing Sarah to convince her to accompany him to Europe but Sarah declined. She's like, no, 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 I'm not interested. And she stated that she would only go uh, um, if Hendrik accompanied them. So remember, Hendrik is currently the Cesar brother that she is working for. Now, it is stated that originally Hendrik declined the offer, but that he did later on agree because he was actually currently at that time having money problems. And so Dunlop convinced him, like, hey, if we go to Europe where freak shows are, like, super popular, we can make, like, really good money off of this. So Henrik's like, say no more. Let me get my bags. We're going.
0: Okay. And
1: now on October 29th, 1810, Sarah signed a contract with Dunlop where she was told she would go to Europe with him, where she would receive a portion of the earnings of her exhibitions, and after five years, she would be able to move back to Cape Town. Okay, now they signed a contract, but here's the thing. Sarah didn't know how to read or write, and the contract was written in English. I hate all of this. So did she voluntarily sign it? Was she duped into signing it? Was she forced into signing
0: it? Did she know what she was signing? It doesn't matter if it was consensual or not. Like, does she know what she signed? She knows what she was told. Exactly. Which I can tell you, fucking terms and conditions, it means like, you're going to get a million dollars at the end of this, all you have to do is stand there and be pretty. Does she know she's going to be exposed? And
1: I mean, how many of us haven't been duped by saying like, oh no, don't worry. Those are just the terms and conditions. Go ahead and sign this and you'll be good to go.
0: I can do Apple all the time. Apple's always like sign terms and conditions. I'm like, okay, I need to send a text message. So I don't know how many times.
1: So it kind of goes into that. It's like, okay. Um, you know, there, there is a thing where it's like, it's a little different for her because we do have the option of sitting there and reading all of the terms and conditions, but we're lazy. She couldn't read or write this. Like she didn't know English. She didn't know how to read. She didn't even know how to read, uh, you know, her language or Dutch, which is what she grew up around much Mm. less English. So anyways, they signed the contract. They take off to London and Dunlop begins exhibiting her as the hot and top Venus. So that was the name that she was given. And, you know, that's the name that she was exhibited with. Basically, this is the show. All right. So, picture it. you come to a freak show, and you have a guy here, and he is giving you a whole spiel about how they just brought something from Africa. And the way that basically it is, he would bring out a cage. And inside the cage is something covered with cloth. So all you could see as a spectator is a cage and cloth, like something covered, right? So he brings out the cage and he shakes it. And then he starts giving you a speech about how he's going to blow your mind away. And he continues to shake the cage. And then he removes the cover and underneath is a woman. Now, Sarah would be standing there with barely enough clothes to cover like her breasts and her pubic region. And the only reason she wouldn't be nude is because Sarah requested that she not be presented nude. Now, English people became like obsessed with her because they were already obsessed with freak shows. They became obsessed with her and they would come from like all around to see her. And she ended up becoming an uh, like an object of racist scientific interest right and there's a reason why i say racist scientific interest and we'll touch on that in a in a little bit so what they would do is these scientists or medical experts would use her so her appearance, as evidence to back up their theories that Black women were sexually primitive. That's fucking white men.
0: What year is this? You said it was the 1700s?
1: No, this is the 1800s already. Ugh. Which, I mean, it's no better, but...
0: no but that's like it makes sense because like that's the time during like the enlightenment period with all these white men thought they were fucking smarter than they really fucking were and mm, they were using like scientific reasoning for their why we're better than you exactly
1: Mm -hmm. so when dunlop was giving the speech he would market her as the missing link between man and beast oh my god and this is where it gets really really gross and ugly because people we get started
0: more gross oh god more it, it
1: does I, I feel so horrible for what happened to her but I feel her story really needs to be known for us to understand the context of what black women have had to endure um because of stupid white men during history but people started to like extremely sexualize her dude and they would like walk up to the cage and like poke her with sticks and they would pay to touch her and it is said that both men and women um essentially they sexually assaulted her because they would pay to either have Be able to like uh, commit sexual acts on her, or have her commit sexual acts on them. That's wrong. And if you ask me, like that's sexual assault. Like I don't see it any other way. Her exhibitions became like extremely famous in England, and they ended up reaching the ears of English abolitionists. Oh my god, I can't say this word. Abolitionist, abolitionist. Am I saying that right? Sounds right to me. Okay. So English abolitionists who were basically against the enslavement of African people. So some of these abolitionists ended up going to see um, the exhibition and what they witnessed, like completely like disturbed them. They're like, this is disgusting. How could this Dutch man come over to England and be showing this shit? Like, how is he keeping that woman in a cage? That is enslavement. So they started this campaign to get Sarah freed uh, because they viewed like his exhibition and his treatment of her, like I said, equal to that of an enslaved person. And so by this time, um, a slave act had already been passed in the United Kingdom, which prohibited slave trade in the British Empire. So the fact that he had brought her from Cape Town to England basically broke that law, which is what they were trying to prove. Now, they ended up taking Dunlop to court. And um, here is the part where I'm just like, oh, this is bullshit. Because Sarah testified in court. But during her, testif- uh, her testimony, both Dunlop and Hendrick were present. So both the guy she signed a contract with and technically the other guy who's like, quote unquote, her owner were there. So Sarah ended up testifying that she had come to England of free will. She had not been sexually abused, was not being kept there by force, and did not wish to return to her family. She also agreed that she had signed the contract where she was guaranteed half of the earnings of her shows. After her testimony, the court ruled that Dunlop had not broken any laws. Um, And then... So what bothers me about this is you have the two guys that have essentially promised you money and, you know, being able to go back to your hometown freedom, right? Like financial stability, freedom, which is what I feel like the majority of us want in our lives. And then you have these other people who, who also want your freedom. But if you listen to them, then you're ended up, without a quote-unquote job and poor, you know what I mean? So I feel like in a way she was forced to say that
0: because... Well, you have your abusers there. And you can only do so much when your abusers are in front exactly. of you. So she's going to, you know, she's going to say whatever she she has to say at that point because she has no other choice.
1: Yeah, because her statements literally contradicted what like hundreds of eyewitnesses stated. And they all stated the same thing. She was being kept in a a cage. She was being forced to, like, do all of these sexual acts on these people. People would be allowed to touch her without asking her for her consent. All that mattered was that they paid Dunlop their dues. So after the trial, unfortunately, the opposite happened because there was an increase in the interest of seeing this woman, this, um, you know, thing, this phenomena. And Dunlop ended up taking her on a tour around Europe. So they traveled around England and Ireland, and in 1811, Sarah was actually baptized as a Catholic at Manchester Cathedral, and there is evidence that she was also married there. doesn't say who she was married to, but there's evidence that she was married as a Catholic. Now, one of the things that she inspired during this time, have you ever heard of bus, uh, bustles? Mm-mm. Okay, so Bustles was basically an undergarment that tightens your stomach and waist. So it's like a faja that has extra padding in the back to make it uh, look like you have a very large. So it's like the BBL of the 1800s? Mm Mm-hmm. And it was inspired by Sarah's natural curvature. Because English Mm -hmm. women are like, well, I want to look like that. I want to have a curvy body like that. But... Wet, they don't white want the women, whole stigma.
0: But yeah, white women still want that, right? The white yeah, women. Still you have all the Kardashians, that. all the
1: Jenners. Yes. They want the big lips, the big butts. Uh, big they want boobs. the features. They just don't want to have to deal with what comes mm-hmm. when you are part of that actual group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And now, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because the story gets worse. Around uh, September of 1814, Dunla passes away, and a man named Henry Taylor takes Sarah to France. Now, Taylor takes Sarah to France and ends up selling her to Jean Rio, who was an animal trainer. Yep, he sells her. So at this point, she in fact does become an enslaved person. So Rio forced Sarah to continue the exhibitions in Paris and particularly she became quite famous for her exhibitions at the uh, Palais Royale. So the Royal Palace, um, which is like apparently like a cafe or something there. And he would force her to appear uh, to appear nude with only a small apron to hide her pubic region. And he would also allow curious scientists to examine her elongated labia.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. He would parade her at private parties and uh, saloons and Since there was no law against slavery in France, he did everything like super open out in the public. Um, At this point, Sarah was miserable. She was sick and she was essentially being treated like an animal. So it is said that Rio would force Sarah to wear a collar around her neck and he would force her to have sex with customers. Now, Sarah ended up passing away on the 29th of December of 1815 at the age of 26 years old.
0: Oh, my God. I was not going to ask you how old is she? She was a baby. Yeah, she was younger than both of us right now.
1: Oh, my God. Now, her cause of death um, is undetermined, but it could be due to complications from syphilis, which she contracted due to her treatment, Mm -hmm. pneumonia and smallpox. So it could be any of those illnesses she had during that time or just complications of all three of them together. Her body was given to Henry Marie Ducretet de Blainville to dissect. Now, that word pisses me off cuz dissection, like dissect reminds me of like science and like dissecting like frogs and cats, you know, in science class. Yeah. And I feel like it's dehumanizing her even after
0: death they still kept on with their fuckery after her death oh my god
1: exactly because so this man george cuvier who had gone to sarah's exhibitions when she was alive he ends up publishing um, like a book of memoirs where he includes Henry's findings. Now, in his book, George describes Sarah as having graceful and slender arms, charming and pretty hands and feet, and compares her small ears to those of an orangutan and other features as evidence of having ape-like traits. Mm. Now, George, Henry, all of these men they were actually part of a movement of scientists who were trying to prove a hierarchy of races where white men were on top. Yeah. So it was biased research from the get-go. They were trying to just prove what they thought was, you know, made them better. Now, George ended up keeping her brain, her genitals and skeleton. And the rest of her body was kept at the Museum de Histor Naturel or the Natural History Museum on the basis that it was a singular specimen of humanity and of special scientific interest. So they ended up um, eventually the museum also got her her full skull, her skeleton, and they ended up doing like a body cast of her and they put it on display in 1827, her skull, her skull was stolen, but it was returned a few months later, and the skeleton and body cast were displayed on the museum until 1937, when they were moved to the uh, Musée de Léon, which is like the Museum of the Man or Museum of Humankind, which is an anthropology museum in Paris, France. Now, it was on display from 1937. And in the 1970s, the museum started getting complaints that the exhibition was a degrading representation of women. So her skeleton ended up getting removed from display in 1974, and the body um, was removed, the body cast was removed in 1976. Now, mind you, South Africa had been requesting that Sarah's remains be returned since the 1940s. So it had been like an ongoing, like legal thing where they're like, give us back her body. Like we need to put her to rest in her home, her hometown, you know, Mm -hmm. do you want to take a guess when France agreed to send her body back?
0: Oh my God, it's going to be something so stupid like within the last 40 years.
1: Mm -hmm. France agreed to send her remains back on the 6th of March of 2002.
0: Oh my God. Mm -hmm. So,
1: 200 years after her birth, they agreed to send her back to her hometown. She was finally laid to rest on the 9th of August of 2002 on a hill in what is now known as the Sarah Bartman District in Eastern Cape, South Africa. In 1999, Cape Town opened the Sartaji Bartman Center for Women and Children, which is a refugee for survivors of domestic violence. South Africa named their first offshore environment protection vessel after her. And on the 8th of December of 2018, the University of Cape Town renamed their memorial hall to the Sarah Bartman Hall. And that is the story of Sarah Bartmint or Hot and Top Venus. Wow.
0: Yeah, that fucked me up, bro.
1: Um, there's a there's a movie you can watch on Prime. It's called Black Venus. I I didn't watch the movie, I only watched the trailer. It did seem that the movie was a little bit graphic um regarding like the sexual violence she endured. So if that is like something that triggers you please don't watch the movie, but if it is something that you're interested in watching, just to like learn a little bit more about her history. Um, that's one of the, the sources I guess you guys could use, but I had no idea about her story. Um, my cousin sent me, um, this like page on Facebook that is like, um, also like talking about black history, they, they're doing like, um, articles on women every day. And so that was one of them and she sent it to me and I was like, oh my God, like this lady, like our retreatment was so inhumane and it was so ugly. And it just goes to show you, like, if we don't know our history, we're not going to know the atrocities our, our ancestors might've done. And we need to know this shit. So we don't repeat it. You're right.
0: Right. And yeah, and they're very hard to digest. Like I'll tell you the truth, like I'm not one to oof, I'm not one to like like stomach those types of things, but they're important. And just because I can't stomach mm-hmm. them doesn't mean that if I don't acknowledge that that's happened throughout our history, then I am part of the problem. So, thank you for for sharing her story. It's very heartbreaking. It's very sad that even after her death, they they did what they did to her for for so many years
1: it's so Mm -hmm. sad (sighs) yes but um you know we gotta know history the good and the bad and all of the shit that comes with it
0: but tell me your story (laughs) we're gonna shift it around for sure we're gonna bring it back to the U.S. okay um yeah so drink your drink um I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you i'm gonna take you to Birmingham. i feel like all my stories have been like in alabama
1: <laughs> oh my, all my i mean the south dude the south. south okay but i do want to say this you guys we don't see the south as a monolith we don't believe that everybody in the south is a racist we don't believe that everybody in the south was part of the confederacy i am well aware that they were um um militias in the South that fought for the union. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but just understand that in, in a word of itself, of itself saying the South to us, we're like, mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're coming from a very heavy place of racism. Mm-hmm.
0: Especially when I think of Birmingham, Alabama, right. Um, who had earned the national reputation um, of violent and radically like segregated, um, and in any form you would try to challenge that norm you would be met with violence and even more resistance so um even at one point martin luther king jr described birmingham as probably the most thoroughly segregated city in the united states um yeah uh on on sunday september fifteenth, nineteen 1963 at the 16th street church in alabama um four members of the KKK had planted 19 sticks of dynamite attached to a timing device beneath the steps located on the east side of the church. At 10.22 a.m., an anonymous man calls the church just simply saying, three minutes. Once they hung up, it was less than one minute when a bomb exploded inside the church. Four girls... Addie Mae Collins, Carol Denise McNair, Carol Rosamond Robertson, and Cynthia Dion Wesley were killed in the attack. It's said that uh, more than 22 people were, you know, sent and rushed to the hospital with, you know, that had also been victims of the crime. But this was a crime that really um, impacted and really was a turning point for Alabama. Reports of the bombing and the loss of four children's lives were glorified by white supremacists who in many instances were celebrating the loss of these poor girls. And they were they were looking at it as a victory towards their fucking movement, whatever the fuck they the thought domestic
1: about. terrorism that they just did. It that's, was that's what it is.
0: Domestic terrorism for sure. Um so the, this, this moment takes, it, obviously it has international and national news, it makes all the headlines, but for activists during this time, right, in the 1960s, this was that turning point that people were saying, we are not doing enough. For Black liberation. We need to take this movement way more seriously. And again, this marks the turning point of, of the United States for the civil rights movement. The Unfortunately, tragic events like these were very common in the South. Um, domestic terrorism was at a high. Um, I know a few episodes ago, we spoke about the fearless leaders that came to be because of unnecessary tragedies and acts of domestic ter- terrorism um, but they came with the consequence and the consequence of these these tragedies were it was black resilience it was black resistance black brilliance and and ready to fight back now, we wouldn't have MLK, right, um, who is known to be in history, in my opinion, and maybe some people might feel differently. But in my opinion, he's he was a pacifist, right? He preached beautifully in the streets. He believed in a revolution through peaceful protesting and marching. And, and he was able to get across uh, a movement by pleasing the white man and getting his... You know, well, getting... because he
1: was coming across as not a threat.
0: He was doing it in a very non-threatful way, exactly. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we had people like Malcolm X, right? We had people like Malcolm X. I did not give a fuck. <laughs> like you don't fucking like I'm not here to for you to fucking like me, bro. Black Panthers. For the Black Panthers. And today's story is going to be about Angela Davis, somebody else who was like, okay motherfuckers you want to come and fuck with me i got a couple of things for you so have you heard of her i've heard her name i've briefly heard of her but please tell me everything because i'm so excited right now so she was born on january 26th um in birmingham alabama as well her family lived in this region called well it was named quote-unquote dynamite hill dynamite hill um and, and why it was called this way was because it was being bombed or threatened all the time by the KKK and like white supremacists. Um, she comes from like a middle-class black family and that just wasn't okay. If you are black, you're not supposed to be better than us. You're not supposed to be our equal. You're supposed to be poor and be in the ghettos. Like you cannot be um, financially stable or intellectual by any means, right? And um, Angela, her mother was um, her, mo- her mother's name was Sally Bell Davis and she was a national officer and leading organizer of the Southern Negro Youth Congress an organization that was influenced by the Communist Party and it aimed at building alliances among African Americans in the south so Davis grew and grew up surrounded by communist organizers thinkers and that just intellectual rhetoric throughout her life that really like established her. She was also a Girl Scout. Um, she marched with the Girl Sc- Scouts and picketed to protest se- racial segregation. She a and badass little kid. She was a badass kid. When the uh, bombing at the church happened, um, she was already uh, attending university, but this was a moment that really kind of shifted her. Although she had already kind of like the marks of being an uh, activist throughout her life. This was that one moment that was like, fuck no, like we really need to do something about this because she actually knew these little girls. She, she was very close to them. And, and so this was that one moment, like no more, no more like MLK, my man, are we doing enough? And so she takes on, In 1969, um, she is uh, an assistant professor at the philosophy department, department in the University of California. And at that time, so Angela is, if you see pictures of her, she has this huge Afro and she is outspoken and she is very openly feminist. Um, not only that she's an she's an activist she's a member of the communist party and she's also a black panther so tell me if she is she, America's worst nightmare she, she, she's my
1: I fucking love her right now I fucking love her she's a bad bitch she's my she, bitch she love is her the baddest
0: bitch absolutely like i always think about like okay so you're black you're this you're that like you have so many things against you but then i just like trifecta of like
1: white fragility like well that like you know exposes white fragility
0: (laughs) absolutely um america's worst nightmare there is nothing more scary than a person of color being educated and being outspoken right like you can't fuck with me you can you cannot do anything wrong to this person um and because she was a, a, a the black party um she was because she was a member of the black panther party um she already had like this this view right and i think in the 1960s and even like when I look at like old school documentaries. I kind of look at it from the white perspective and I'm looking at these like old school things on YouTube and they really talk about the Black Panthers. as like this animalistic fucking party that just wants to destroy your house, that wants to destroy that that normal American living. And I'm just- They were so scared of them. But because the Black Panthers were like, you know what, fuck you, you're not doing anything
1: for our communities. We will. We will help our communities. We will help our school. We will take care of our children and we will protect them.
0: and And really that's what they were they were just a coalition of like of protecting their their people um they really fought against police brutality because there were so many reports on that so what they would do is that they would arm the members and be like here is your gun go watch these motherfucking police that they don't do something stupid because obviously we can't trust them to protect us we're living in a world where all of the police officers are white people can we protect them no, we uh, can we trust them no we can't um so it started as that right as as being like cop watchers and eventually they started doing what you're mentioning being actually in the community and outreaching um i was like they had a fucking program bro for free breakfast for their kids to make sure that they would close yes. the gap in 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 hunger um they would have resources to for like medical resources for people that were having mm-hmm. any type of like illnesses and things like that like so important just basic resources but here they're um they're looked as villains in in history i'm like they sound awesome bro
1: well because when you can't defeat them and you're scared shitless of them you have to make them the villain the villain in the story that's Mm. the only way you're gonna win is if you convince everybody else that they're the bad guys
0: yeah, and it's depending on the narrative, right? Who's writing history? And it's not Black women. It's not the Black Panthers. It's definitely the white man writing story.
1: Another reason why they don't want to teach um, critical race theory in classes.
0: They don't want. They don't want people to know that. No, it's white fragility. You'd be breaking it. Nobody wants to break it. Mm, Poor white man. So in 1969, um, okay, so Angela, right? So Angela is a bad bitch that she is. And uh, Ronald Reagan starts getting like hearing a lot of her speeches on tv she starts getting all this attention because she's she does a lot of speeches she goes into she has no filter and so reagan is the governor of california at that time ronald reagan the guy who comes to be the president in the 80s and he's just like this angela girl is a problem she is a problem to our american way of living we need to figure out a way to not have her in universities because she is uh corrupting the minds of our young people and so reagan comes up with a bogus fucking law and tells um the university of california like we need to come up with a law that we cannot hire communists because remember communism is an issue but that happened like decades ago. Anyway, so the university is like, yeah, fucks yeah, yeah, she's a problem. She talks too much. Um, So they come up with this bogus law and they end up firing her from her position. And um, when they brought it up to the judge, uh, Jerry Pact, he's like, no, I'm, no, we can't be doing this because I'm sure if we like fire her, we're like against some type of, there's like some amendment we might be breaking. So we can't just, no, it's kind of like work discrimination, bro. She, 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 we can't do that. So she comes back to campus and she goes off on doing like more speeches and she continues holding like more, you know, shit. And she starts like referring to, on her speeches because she's super like anti like police and, and police brutality, right? And she refers to policemen as pigs. And the board of, of education was like, yeah, we need to fire you again because you're like too explicit for us. And she's like, motherfuckers. Um, the American Association of University Professors was like, no, bro, like she has, no, she could, it's freedom of speech. Sorry. Um, so she keeps on doing this, right? So she starts get, like gaining more attention, but now we have to remember the 19... 19- 60s, especially like at this point we've, how many leaders have been killed up to this point, right? MLK had already been shot and assassinated. Uh, Malcolm X had already, you know, been assassinated. So, I mean, my girl's like fearing for her life. So what she, what she starts doing is investing in weapons. And these weapons are like to legitimately protect her. So um, she has, so she has these weapons. Um, at the same time, Angela is, is, is affiliated with other, with other, with people who she knows that have been um mistreated by the by the prison system and just by this, you know, just by the regular system in general. So um Angela becomes tied to escalating racial tensions in the state of the criminals justice system. On August 7th, 17-year-old Jonathan P. Jackson attempted to coerce and release t- to coerce the release of the Soledad brothers. Um, the Soledad Brothers was a case that had happened uh where there was a riot at a at a prison for some black men that had been um wrongfully tried or wrongfully imprisoned. And then there was a riot that happened afterwards, and the, the brothers were were told that they were like the wrong ones and they were like Facing death row, and amongst other things, um, and so this this uh, Jonathan goes into the court, and was like, "Fuck no! Like, we're gonna make sure that we get justice." So he ends up kidnapping Superior Court Judge uh, Harold um, Harold Haley, and um, this ended up resulting in leaving three men and one boy dead. And this was seen as an act of terrorism, of domestic terrorism in the court law. Now, the reason Angela gets tied into all of this was because Jonathan was using Angela's weapons during this. Oh, shit. This, this moment, yeah. So, But it, was,
1: she, was she aware of his plan?
0: So everybody, well, so she had like relationships with like the people that were incarcerated. So like mm-hmm. that's where it got sticky because California at this time, well- California considers all persons that have some type of affiliation with the crime that was done directly or indirectly mm-hmm. like you are just as liable for the crime whether you did it or not. So because it was her weapons that she had just recently bought, she got mm-hmm. stuck into this and just because who she is, right, as a person, she's already a threat. Um and so they um they start looking, they they um did a warrant for her arrest.
1: So I can see that I I could see the theory and the thinking behind that, that like law, like, you know, if indirectly this was your weapon and it was used for this, like you will like, and you know, kind of be charged as well. I wish that other states would have the same energy behind the parents who have allowed or given their kids guns and then the kids do mass shootings at schools and other places. Because in my that? eyes, the parent is just as guilty as the fucking kid.
0: Laura, what are you talking about? They're, they have like psychological issues. like Psychological
1: they... issues? My ass. My okay. uh, my ass has psychological issues. And um. you don't see me going around shooting up places? <laughs> my mom is would be stupid? the living
0: shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it stupid? Like you, it's it is. true. Like you, like where is this energy when we have mass shootings? No, but he's a boy, but he's going to ruin the rest of his life. But well, we energy- gave it
1: to him as his fifteenth birthday present, but we didn't think he would actually use it. Mm. Your, your, your fucking kid was saying he wanted to shoot people before you even bought him the gun. He was writing about it in his fucking diary, mm. like. Okay. I'm sorry. It just really pisses me off because we should keep that same energy behind all these fucking white parents who have also allowed their kids to have access to these guns and these stupid white kids have gone off and stolen the lives of many children and adults as well.
0: Sorry. Rant over. No, I mean, if they were black possibly, but because they're white.
1: Oh my God. If they were black, they would have been shot on impact. Like the police wouldn't have even been like, come out of the school. They would probably have shot up the whole school just to get to that one black kid.
0: Absolutely. So as you can imagine, uh, Angela gets charged with aggravated kidnapping and the first degree murder in the death of Judge Harold Haley. Um, So the Superior Court Judge Peter Allen Smith issues a warrant for her arrest. Um so on August 14th, 1970, uh, hours after the judge issues the warrant, a massive attempt to find an arrest, Angela begins. On August 18th, four days afterwards, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover listed Davis on FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list. Bro, how dramatic. <laughs> This would be the third woman on the list and uh, just the 309th person on the list ever. So, like,
1: I, I, if I was her, dude, I would have like printed out that picture and like probably like have it like put up in my house somewhere. Like,
0: what would you have done? So, so, so think about this, right? Now that you bring it up, what would you have done in reality? Like, you, you like know to get
1: me would... on the most wanted
0: list. So, you're on the most wanted list. Would you go turn yourself um... in or would you run?
1: Oh, okay. I thought you said you meant like, what crime would I have done to get me out there? Oh, <laughs> I was I ready to out myself about every crime. i have like, well, I've thought about doing this. Um, okay. So what would I do? Would I turn myself in or would I, I would turn myself in. Um, just because I know that running makes things worse, not just for me, but for everybody I've ever interacted with me, my family, my friends, because if I go on the run, that would mean I would probably have to go no contact with them and just to know how much that would hurt like my family, I, I wouldn't want to put them through that type of pain. So I would just turn myself in and just hope that um,
0: the judge isn't racist. right (laughs) who's gonna be the judge wait bitch but who's gonna be the judge and who's gonna be a jury let's think about that okay um i was listening to an interview with angela on democracy now with amy goodman and she was like bro i already know what they do to people like me i fucking ran I'm not going to turn myself fucking Oh, she in. ran? She ran. Oh, my girl ran. She's like, I already know what they do to people like me. I am running.
1: That's true. That's true, though. the I'm not going to lie. Because of my light skin, I had the privilege of probably, they probably would have
0: never even like brought these charges up against me it's it's very true you were not in this predicament i feel like if i would have been in this predicament i would have i would have ran too i feel like i didn't do anything <laughs> <Bye>. um, <laughs> i'm going to mexico i'll be drinking tequila see you later i did not do shit um on so she does and on october 13th 1970 fbi agents found her out a howard johnson inn in new york city how dramatic is the united states President Richard Nixon congratulated the FBI on its capture of quote the most dangerous terrorist <laughs> Angela Davis. How dramatic.
1: That's another she she better have that on her resume.
0: <laughs> oh, my girl does. My girl does. Um As you can imagine, across the nation, thousands of people began organizing movements to gain her release from New York, right? We had black writers um, formed committees um, to defend Angela Davis. By 1971, more than 200 local committees in the United States and 67 in foreign countries. Because my girl was well traveled and she was well known throughout the world, um, they worked on a um, on a Free Davis uh, committee, and even John Lennon and Yoko Ono contributed to the campaign with a song called "Angela," which we should share for the podcast and our listeners and uh after 16 months in jail dude they had her 16 months in jail and and so like they were seeking the death penalty for her bro of course they were they were seeking the like just the worst of the worst for her um the um, aretha franklin calls angela in jail and is like yo, how much are they going to charge? I can pay for it. What do they want? What's your bail? Let me get you out right now. Angela's like, dude, there's no bail. They want me dead. Like, like I'm on death row. And she's like, no, there, there has to be one. There has to be one. And Angela's like, nope. Like I'm on death row unless, you know, by magic, something happens where there's no more death row or, you know, California goes away with the death penalty. I'm, I'm, no, I don't have a bond and so Aretha like is like when was if you need me I'm here by some miracle dude California within that like those days like something happens that they abolish the death penalty in California and uh Angela's like holy shit calls Aretha, can't get a hold of Aretha because she doesn't know if they're going to bring back the death penalty just to fuck with her. Um, And so she calls Aretha and apparently Aretha's on vacation. She's like, puta madre, me van a cagar. Like I have this window (laughs) of time to get out of jail and I don't know what to do. And Aretha's not returning my calls. Um, So it turns out that there was this farmer dude from Fresno, California that paid her $100,000 bail um and was like ready to put up his farm up for like just sell it just to release angela that is how influential she was
1: that's how you know people believed in what she stood for
0: absolutely absolutely and And let me just
1: tell you carmen that if i'm ever in jail i don't give a fuck where your vacationing (laughs) guy you better answer that fucking call dude i'm so bad i live
0: in texas bitch. this is not a joke Please don't go to jail. Don't go to jail, especially if my phone is on silent, because I'll probably get to it by the time you get out of jail. You're like, where were you? <laughs> guys, if you guys ever get into legal issues, please don't call me. It's not that I don't want to answer my phone. My my phone will probably just be on silent, and I'll just miss the whole thing. It's My intentions are to always help you guys, but really bad Just not with a phone call <laughs> not with a phone call text message i always think like i return my text messages and i never do for some reason um so she gets released from jail uh and she was in and out of the court system bro because they still obviously they still wanted her back in there they she they still wanted her to you know do some time at least um and for Finally, on June fourth, nineteen seventy-two, after thirteen hours of deliberations and an all-white jury, they returned a verdict that she was not guilty. The fact that she owned the guns used in the crime was not—it was like insufficient to establish her role in the plot. She had nothing to do with this whole situation. So, where is Angela today? I mean. Today, Angela just continues that good fight, my dude. She is uh, a major figure in the prison abolition movement. And this is where I learned from her. I was watching the documentary, um, The 13th, which is on Netflix. And it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. If you want a very simple explanation of how the the prison system is like... The school to
1: prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. Oh my
0: God, dude, like it is gut-wrenching, but it's so important to watch. I feel like that should be on your list for this month, everyone. Um, It's a really good representation and they dumb it down for like me that I don't know anything. It really mm-hmm. dumbs it down to how everything from like slavery to Jim Crow to um, the civil rights movement to mm-hmm. BLM and how it all just interconnects
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's so beautifully done so she's in it and she talks about her experience um and she
1: that's where I remembered her name from Mm
0: -hmm. I was like oh my
1: god okay yeah I watched that with my brother and let me tell you we've had like some of the most awesome like conversations after that
0: Mm -hmm, absolutely she's also one of the founders of the critical resistance and national uh, grassroots organization dedicated to building a movement to a abolish the prison system. In recent works, she's argued that the US prison system resembles a new form of slavery, pointing to the disproportionate share of the African American population who are incarcerated. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you guys do watch the documentary, um and there is this like great moment in, in in the doc where they talk about like so where are these, you know, these black men they don't have fathers or you know these these black communities don't have fathers and they talk about like well yeah you fucking put them in prison like mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s you said 80s you're looking for reasons to put them in, in prison for petty ass you crime. blame
1: them for the problems in their community when you created the problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that's like Carmen blaming me for getting drunk off of gin when she's the one that introduced me to gin. <laughs>
0: It's more complex than that, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great metaphor.
1: (laughs) Um, No, but, but seriously speaking, like the U S government has done atrocities to the black community and then turns around and is like, what you're poor. Oh no, you don't have dads. Oh no, your schools suck. And we're like, really, bitch, really? Like, you
0: don't know you're the one that caused all of this shit. Mm-hmm. You, you caused it all. And it does such a great way. You know, I, and I was watching it with Brandon and Brandon doesn't follow so many things as I do. Right. And sometimes we'll get into conversations and even like debates, like friendly debates, but we were watching this documentary together. And that part where, um, that we're investing money into sending these people into jail and incarcerating them for petty crimes. Brandon pointed out something from a previous documentary we were watching, and he says, "Wait, this was the 1970s," and I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Bro, in the 1970s, we were investing money into Osama bin Laden in the Middle East. We were literally like investing money into like that terrorist thing, and here we are like incarcerating our own people when we had like actually major issues." And he was like bridging. The, the timelines. And I was like, holy shit, Brandon, like, you're right. And it's just fascinating. Well, it's because
1: it was, it's always been for profit. The only re- reason we went into Iraq, Iran, all of those places, it wasn't to help the people. It wasn't to bring democracy. It was, it was, it was because we wanted to steal their resources. The only way we could steal their resources was by divide and conquer. Absolutely. And in this case, murder murder the people, take their resources. It's with the issue with um, the black community is that for the US, since they are no longer able to use them as slaves, since they are no longer able to use them to, as the poverty line, they have to find a way to keep them down. They have to find a way to keep on feeling uh, better than them. And it's getting harder and harder. So that's why they just keep on coming up with more and more bullshit, which is the prison system, private prisons. Why do we have prisons for profit? Why?
0: They shouldn't be. Yeah. And that's the beginning because it's part of a a bigger globalist issue. Right. And it's, it's bullshit. It is. We have the
1: highest incarceration rate per capita than any other country in the In the world. And of that, we have the highest rate
0: amongst our african-american males Mm -hmm. and that is a problem now i'm not going to educate you guys on the prison system because i am not an expert please go watch the documentary give a shout out to angela because she is still fighting that good fight she is still making shit happen to this day she's still alive she's just fascinating she's such a badass such a badass um But yeah, I was so happy to cover her and I was, I'm intimidated because this is a person again, that, um, like all the people I've covered, there's just so much more, so much more to unveil so much, so many amazing things she's done. Um, and, and please, you guys, if this is a little snippet of who she is, imagine Mm -hmm. how much more you guys can learn. So please do so. And let us know your thoughts.
1: Yes. I love that you ended us with such a high note, because I feel like my story was such a downer, Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately, right? And tragically. And your story just goes to show um, opposites end of the spectrum, right? Um, Gosh, he's such a badass.
0: I am so fascinated by the leaders of the civil rights. And and that's why I've talked a little bit about the the bombing in birmingham because it's like through tragedies that we have these fearless leaders right mm-hmm. and the spectrums and everything but um i'm glad we were able to talk about the stories we don't know the stories we don't want to hear the stories that need to be heard right yeah and we let echo me, the strong let voices. me
1: tell you dude. that since we started this podcast, I mean, you you know me, I've always been that person that like I'll hear about something and I randomly just want to know more and more and more about it. But since we started this podcast, I feel like my world has expanded so much and I've been exposed to so many different perspectives, so many different lives and, um, and I fucking love it. I hope our listeners like feel the same way that they le- listen to these stories and they learn so much and their minds just get like blown. And, um, and I hope eventually one day these stories make their ways into the classrooms and they become the norm.
0: As they should. As they should, because these again, and I think I've been saying this the last three episodes, but this is our history. You guys, this is our history. Mm -hmm. This is where we came from. The good, the bad, the ugly, like this is what. And we we need need to learn
1: our history to make sure we don't repeat it. Like you cannot get tired of that phrase. I know it sounds cheesy, but it is so true. The moment people start forgetting the reality of history, they will repeat it.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you look at it today, police brutality is still a thing. And the reason it is a thing is because we didn't learn about these, these issues in the past. Mm-hmm. So the more we echo them, the more we circle back to them, the more we remember to not repeat history, the more we will be able to strive for a better future for ourselves, for our children, and for future generations. Yes. And that's the world I want to be a part of.
1: Same here. Same here. I love it. That was a great way. Like I'm, thank you guys for listening. I just, I want to end it right there. You, you did an awesome job. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) You guys, thank you for listening to us. Do not forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, send us an email. If you guys have any concerns, you guys, if you guys want to correct me, Correct Laura. Correct us, please. (laughs) If you're gonna correct
1: me, send it to Carmen because Carmen will like soften the blow to my ego. You know, my ego's is still a little bit high. It's still a little (laughs) inflated.
0: Parezco cuerpo spin. I I, and I don't have an ego, so please, I do have an ego. But send it over to me. Feedback is a gift. Um, I've been conditioned to accept all of this. Send it over. Let us know what you guys think and who else you guys want us to cover because. We have It'll so be your more. job
1: to check all the emails going forward.
0: Okay. I, I'll take that. So I'll take it.
1: Give them give them our emails so that you guys can write to Carmen and let her know your thoughts and comments.
0: <laughs> It'll be not your podcast at gmail.com. Yes. I'll be checking it. Thank all you, right. guys. And the five-star reviews, don't forget about them. You got it. Have a good night, my friends, and cheers. We'll see you next Bye. time. Bye. Bye.